If you have your Bibles, you can open with me uh, to Luke chapter 11. We're only going to get through two verses this morning. Uh, I thought we'd get through it quicker, but as uh, I looked and studied this passage, I realized how crucial it is for the believer to understand uh, this way the Lord taught us uh, to pray. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who has indebted us. And lead us not into temptation. Father, I ask that what Jesus wanted to teach the original disciples, we would learn this morning for your glory and honor. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner had 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. And the owner had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he is shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I am through with all that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Atlantic and there to live and die without hearing of Christ Several thousand black slaves toiled in the sugarcane fields under the burning sun. Three thousand slaves were doomed to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young Germans in their twenties from the Moravian sect heard about their plight. They were willing to sell themselves to the British planter for the standard price for a male slave if necessary. The Moravian community from Hurrenhut came to see the two lads off where they would never return again, having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. As a member of the slave community, they would witness as Christians to the love of God. Family members were emotional. They were weeping. Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? The housings had just been cast off and were curled up on the pier as the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened. The young men linked arms and raised their hands and shouted across the spreading gap. May the Lamb that was slain, receive the reward 
of his suffering. This became the call of the Moravian missions. This was our only reason for being that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. I believe the heartbeat, what these two young men knew that their fellow Moravians did not know or did not feel is the same thing that if we don't pray much, we lack. Their goal in life was that God be glorified in Christ. Christ died for sinners. 3,000 slaves without Christ. And they said, this is what makes sense. Let's sell ourselves. Let's leave our families because God must be glorified. Because God must be glorified. This is the way Jesus Christ lived. The words that Scott read in Jesus' high priestly prayer, this was the heartbeat of his life. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. What was he about to do? He was about to give his life away, that the Father may be glorified in the perfect representation of Himself and His Son. And in verse 4, He prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Jesus knew His purpose was to glorify the Father, to glorify God. The purpose of prayer is that we relate to God rightly so that we may be helped so that He may be glorified. Let me say that again. The purpose of prayer is that we relate to God rightly so that we may be helped and so that He may be glorified. Prayer might be one of the most neglected gifts God has given us. We'll often hear someone say about a Bible that's collecting dust, the Word of God that's more valuable than gold that collects dust on a shelf. How foolish can we be? And also, to neglect prayer is to be one of the most foolish things a Christian could ever do. Here's what the Bible tells us about prayer. Luke 18.1, and He told them a parable to the effect they, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Matthew 26.41, watch and pray so that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans 12.12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6.17 
with the armor of God at the end of it, he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the, uh, for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that you may never stop praying to your Father. Never cease. Martin Lloyd-Jones the famous preacher says, of all the blessings of Christian salvation, none is greater than this, that we have access to God in prayer. He goes on to say, man is at his greatest and highest when he is upon his knees and comes face to face with God. Now I know that when the topic of prayer comes up, maybe a sense of guilt in instantly comes upon you. I don't know if I've met a person who's felt like they pray enough. But what does our lack of prayer say to us? What does it mean when we're not praying well, I believe the lack of prayer sounds two major alarms in the believer. Two major alarms go off as a warning. The first one is this. You're proud. You have way too high a view of self. If you do anything apart from prayer, it's pride. It's self-confidence apart from God. The second alarm is that we have a low view of God, His goodness, His promises, and His worthiness. When we're not praying, we think way too highly of ourselves, and we're not seeing God clearly, because if we did, we would continue to seek His face continually. The psalmist says this, Psalm 910 says this, and those who know your name, now just so you know, when the Bible talks about knowing someone's name, that means more than knowing their name. That means knowing their character, knowing everything there is to know about them is to know someone's name. Those who know your name 
put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So who seeks God in prayer? Those who know Him. Those who know what He's like. Those who know His promises. You won't seek to have a relationship with a God you barely know. A high view of God will create a low view of self and create a dependence on God in prayer. Psalm 18.1 says this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The psalmist knows God's his strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He knows a lot about God. And then he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. And then in verse 6, in my distress, I call upon the Lord. To my God, I cry for help. From His temple, He heard my voice. And my cry to Him reached His ears. When you know who God is, and you know that He hears you, when you remember who God is, you remember that He hears you, then you will go to Him in prayer. But when you notice a confident arrogance in yourself, a self-reliance, a lack of love, a lack of showing mercy to others, a critical spirit, you can know that you're not in right fellowship with God through prayer. It's going to be a fact. Even though you may know much Scripture, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Scripture is poured from our head into our hearts through meditation and humble prayer. So if I asked you, do you know God? Do you love God? And you say yes, and you just rattle off Bible verses minus prayer, you ought to see the red flags coming up and say, am I relating to God in a relationship through prayer? The drive of this sermon is this. Believers desire to pray better. My, my prayer is, is that you leave here today desiring because you see how valuable this gift is to pray better. Look at verse 1 of Luke 11. All the way through verse 13, Jesus is teaching on prayer. We're going to spend several weeks on this. Here's what we see in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, an important 
understanding of what prayer was like for the Jew in Jesus' day will help us understand this question. It seems like the Jewish prayers were mainly religious repetition. They weren't from a sincere heart. And they related more to the human tradition that they had made up rather than the Word of God. They were man-centered prayers in that the person praying was seeking to be glorified rather than the one in whom they were praying to. They weren't really believing that God is the great giver of reward, but that when I pray to God, people will see me and think I look spiritual, and that will be my reward. This is what the religious leaders prayed like in Jesus' day. And the Gentiles prayed to their many gods. And their form of prayer seemed to be saying a whole bunch of words over and over and over and over and over and over and over again so that God may finally grant them their prayer. We know this because in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, we get the full version of the, of the Lord's Prayer, the one that's maybe more familiar to you. So Jesus taught this at separate times. In, in, in this case, in Luke, he gets asked, how should I pray? In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus is saying, don't pray like them. Don't pray like the hypocrites pray. Here's what he says. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He says, don't pray like people are praying. The disciple is listening. One of the disciples is listening to Jesus pray. And evidently, this is different than the way he's been raised to pray, than the way he's heard. And they know that John taught his disciples to pray, and his prayers must have been unique as well. John was one of these unique, pure threads that came out of Judaism that was trusting God and looking to Christ. And Jesus' disciples come up to him and say, teach us to pray like you pray. He does not say, give us a prayer. The Lord's prayer is not a prayer that the Lord gave us to pray. They said, teach us to pray. 
Teach us how to pray, not give us a prayer. So if you think of the Lord's Prayer as just a prayer, the Lord gave us to pray and not Jesus telling us how to pray, then you'll think about it wrongly. In fact, there's nowhere else in Scripture where we see any of the disciples repeating this prayer. As though He just gave them a prayer. He was teaching them how to pray. He's giving them an outline as to how to pray, and we can fill out the body of the outline. It's like a pattern that when we pray like He's praying with the attitude He's praying with, then we can pray according to God's will. Now, why is it important for us to desire to pray rightly? Let me read a few verses. 1 John 5.14 And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. Why ought we desire to pray rightly? Because if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. If we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we'll have the request we have asked of Him. James 4.3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. If you pray wrongly, to glorify yourselves, to cheat on God with whatever idolatry you're asking Him to give you, don't expect God to answer your prayers. If He did, He wouldn't be good. If He did, He wouldn't be loving. In fact, if He gives you the passions of your heart in Romans 1, that's the judgment of God on you and that seals your fate for hell. It's God letting go of the leash chain, have your idolatry. We ought to seek to pray according to God's will because when we do, God answers those prayers. Here we see that Jesus was acting as an example for the disciples. They're watching Him saying, I want to know how to pray like that. Maybe you know someone who prays and you've watched them and you're wondering, how do they pray? What drives their prayers? I know a dear brother sitting in this room sometimes will sit down with me and read prayers from the Puritans. And their prayers seem so different than prayers I grew up hearing. The drive of them seems totally different. One commentator uh, named Box says this, the prayer that Jesus gives does not use an individualized checklist of specific wants and needs as we often hear at prayer meetings. The prayer is focused like a laser beam on expressing a dependent approach to God on the quality of the community's life with Him it expresses a desire for holiness, 
for God's ruling presence, for a life of forgiveness, it recognizes that provision and spiritual protection come from God. It asks God to work on the heart and seeks to be submissive to His will. So it's a person concerned with God being glorified, with God being the one who gives the strength, and that God rule in the community of believers. These are all plurals. When you all pray, it's God and others focused. And it's really simple. There's an address at the beginning to God as Father. There's two statements. So who is it to? It's to the Father. There's two statements which reveal the desire coming out of the person praying. Hallowed be your name is the first statement. Your kingdom come. And then three requests. Request for daily bread, for forgiveness, and for deliverance from temptation. That's the structure of the prayer. Today we're going to look at who the prayer is addressed to and to one of the statements, one of the desires of the person praying. So point one in your notes says this, pray with childlike intimacy, respect, and honor. Here's what he says. And he said to them, when you pray just want to point out, it says, when you pray, there's an expectation that you're going to be praying. This is a continual idea that you're going to do this over and over and over again. Say, Father. Now, that might not strike you as shocking, but it would have to the Jews. It would have shocked them. John MacArthur writes, nowhere in the Old Testament is God addressed as Father in a personal prayer. He does corporately of Israel, but never an individual having the audacity to say He's my personal Father. Which would have been considered presumptuous For Jesus to address God as Father, as He always did, except on the cross when our sins were on Him, and to instruct His followers to do so was revolutionary and shocking. How dare Jesus say, here's how you pray. Everything a Jew knew is that to get close to God was nearly impossible. As you got closer to where the presence of God dwelt behind the holies of holies, behind that curtain, there was only one man on the face of the earth that could do that. He could only do that once a year, and it was the high priest. And if he didn't do it rightly, he could die. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Father, for us, it's the word Abba. You've maybe heard preachers say this means daddy, but that doesn't seem to be a good translation because 
the American cultural view of daddy is just intimacy. Just like, hey, daddy. Oh. But in Jesus's culture, a father was, yes, your intimate father. But he was also the one man on the face of the earth that was to be honored more than any other man. To be respected. To have a reverence for. A healthy fear of a father knowing that your father is the authority over your life. So this term father brings two truths about God. God's transcendence. He's far away. He's high and lifted up. He's in heaven. And also is imminence. His closeness to us. When we approach God, we approach God who's our Father. We can go right to His throne as a child goes to His dad, dependent on His dad, yet never casually or without respect and a desire to honor Him. The fact that God is our Father separates Him from every other false deity and every other false religion. The Bible says God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a divine unity, three, a community of three persons with one divine essence. Allah is God to the Muslims. The Bible says that Jesus, or that the Father, that God is love. Well, the Christian God can be love in a way that no other God can because if Allah was considered loving, He would have had to become loving after people were created. But our God has forever been love. That's what He is. Because there's forever been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect communion, in perfect family. This prayer could be called the disciples' prayer because only a believer can pray this prayer. Now, a non-believer can repeat the words, and they do often, but Jesus only means to give this prayer to someone who is a believer. Because if you're not a believer, God is not your Father. In John 1.11, He says, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. They were not children of God before they believed. It's a privilege. It's a right that God has given us in Christ. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus says to Mary who came to cling on Him after His resurrection, He says, Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father but go tell my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father 
and your Father to my God and your God. Isn't this so encouraging, knowing that the resurrected Christ says, go tell my brothers that I have ascended, or I'm going to ascend, I've not yet ascended, I'm resurrected, and I'm going to my Father and to your Father. Romans 8.14, Paul learned this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When the Spirit of God's inside you, your heart's cry is not to God merely, but Father. A non-believer in a scary situation will say, Oh my God! And they'll swear. But a believer will say, Father, Jesus. It's relational. It's intimate. Because the Spirit of God has confirmed to their hearts that God is their Father. He taught this in Galatians 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth this Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. The believer must never lose hope in prayer because we pray to our Father. And because we know His character. We know what He's promised. We know that His promises are sure. So no matter how disappointed you are in life, no matter how much you think your circumstances should be turning out a different way, we ought never to lose hope in prayer. Because our God is our Father and we know His name. We know His character. We know to trust Him. So pray with a childlike intimacy, but have a respect and honor. There is a sense we ought never pray like this. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And pretend as though He's not God. And this next point will bring clarity there. Point two, pray with the the desire that God gets the glory. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It means set apart your name. Father, that you be set apart from every other thing that's ever been. That you be compared to nothing. That you be holy. That you be set apart. The prophet uh, says in Malachi 1.6, 
A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priests, you despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By their flippant attitude that they had towards God in the way they worshipped Him. The hypocritical nature, they just said the ritualistic prayers. They didn't honor Him. John 14.13 says this, because prayer is because prayer is the main or because in prayer the main goal for God is to be glorified this is how Christ prayed in John 14:13 he says whatever you ask in my name this I will do so whatever you ask according to my character according to my will according to what you know about me in the scriptures I will this I will do why that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That God would be glorified. The heartbeat of all of our prayers needs to be the same heartbeat those Moravian young men in their 20s had. That God gets the glory. What should drive missions is not mainly that there's lost souls, but first and foremost that there's those created in the image of God that are not worshiping God. God deserves to be worshiped. He deserves to be glorified. And the heartbeat of our prayers ought to be not, Lord, get me out of my circumstance. Make it easy. Take away my suffering. But the heartbeat of our prayer ought to be, give me the faith that in my circumstance I may glorify You whatever it may be. This is how we ought to pray. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord. That is My name. My glory I give to no other. God doesn't share His glory and we ought not want Him to share His glory. Psalm 29.1 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Do His name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. You know, in America, there's a bunch of different types of Jesus. There's the Tom Petty Jesus. And for every believer, there ought to be a burning in your gut saying this isn't right. Not that, not to say damn Tom Petty, but that we desire Tom Petty to be saved that he might speak rightly about our Christ. She's a good girl. What is, who does she love? She loves her mama, loves Jesus, and America too. She's a good girl who's crazy about Elvis. She loves horses and her boyfriend too. 
Mama, America, Elvis, horses, boyfriend. Let's throw Jesus in there. She's a good girl. She's in a good American girl. That's the opposite of what Christ is saying. That God's name be never put in a list in comparison of this with all these other things. This is the Jesus of country music. Tom Hall sings a song that says this called Me and Jesus. And me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. And we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. We can't afford no fancy preaching. We can't afford no fancy church. We can't afford no fancy singing. But don't you know, God's got a lot of good people out doing His work. You know why someone writes a song like that? Because they want to tell their heart a lie. That although they don't know Jesus, although they don't go to church, although they don't love God's people or want to be a part of a church, that they're okay. That they're out there, not in church, doing God's work. This is not hallowed be your name. This is not, oh good, they talked about Jesus in a country song. Dolly Parton has a song called, I've got all I need, Jesus and, see there's the mistake, isn't it? Gravity. She needs Jesus, lift her up, and then gravity to hold her down. You put Jesus in a list, you put God in a list, we're missing the heart of Christian prayer that God's name be hallowed. Those who pray according to God's will will do the will of God. When we have our hearts calibrated by thinking about God rightly, as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, depending on Him for our every need, the glasses from which we see our lives, the calibration from which we live our lives is set. God's will for your life is to recognize that because of God's great love for sinners, He sent Jesus to die for you, to suffer in your place for your sins so that you can be reconciled to Him as a son or daughter in His family. Christ came down to die so that when you pray, you can start your prayer with Father. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. My prayer is, is that you would have Jesus' Father as your Father because you trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross. The last verse I want to leave with you is John 17, 11. In the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, speaking of his disciples, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. 
Keep them knowing who You are. Help them not forget that which You have given Me that they may be one even as we are one. Father, keep them trusting You, praying our Father so that we may be one. He goes on to say that let them know that the same way You love Me, You love them. What a privilege we have in Christ that we can pray in the way Christ teaches us to pray. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that we would not neglect the privilege we have to come before Your throne. Father, I pray that when we come, we would come with hearts that aren't selfish, which aren't glory-seeking, which aren't hypocritical, but with hearts that are humble, with hearts that are submissive, with hearts that are offering their lives up to You so that You may be glorified. They would be hearts of thankfulness, hearts of dependence on You for all things. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.